There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry all right uh welcome to our group therapy session mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna go around the room here and uh we're gonna hear from everybody don't worry we're gonna get to you <laughs> The, the ducks Tell us your blown. name, how they hurt you, how's it going, how are you going to pull through? Uh, the Ducks have blown a second 3 nothing lead to the Arizona Coyotes. And if you thought, like, I don't think I've ever sat here and said, how can you top blowing a 3 nothing lead? Well, I guess you can top that by another 3 nothing lead. And but in a smaller a time later. period. Yeah, yeah, with 10 minutes left in the third period. We're going to blow a 3 nothing lead here. And then we're going to take it to the shootout. We're going to have Trevor Zegra score a shootout goal and be like, oh, okay. And then we're going to finish it off with Ricard Raquel missing the net. <laughs> so it's, uh, man, I can't, uh, I can't even believe it at this point. It, it's, it's actually unbelievable what, uh, what's kind of going on at this point. I mean, I, I post this stuff as a joke. Just, I, oh, I'll be interesting or fascinated how the Ducks are going to lose this, you know, blow this lead. And, and then they score a goal. I'm like, uh-oh, all right, I got to make a meme real quick, throw it out there, just see, oh, they're going to blow it. Oh, there they are. And then, holy hell, they actually did it. They actually did it. <laughs> I, was like, I, I wasn't expecting that really, kind of, but not really. I blame this all on Steven because in our season preview. No, we, you don't even have to explain I agree. Yeah, no, I, right off the bat, if you just say we blame it on Stephen, we get it. But I had to explain it for everybody who doesn't know. 
when we did our season preview, we guessed what the Ducks record would be after 20 games. Going into tonight, Steven needed a shootout or overtime loss to get the 6-10-4 record that he predicted at the beginning of the season. All three of us were already out of it. Mm-hmm. And you were out of it a long time because <laughs> you predicted 11 wins <laughs> in 20 games. But if only the power play would be functional. And uh, I was—I remember going into the third period, we're up three nothing, and I was gonna message Stephen and be like, "Man, you, you came so close, but you didn't get it." But I didn't want to jinx it. <laughs> it. Didn't matter because at the end they end up losing. I did it. I did it for you. You're welcome. Ah <laughs> yeah. uh, man, we'll, we'll we'll get we got to get into this breakdown. But um, to kind of start things off here, obviously Trevor Zegers starting his second NHL game on the same line that he started his first. Sonny Milano checks back into the lineup. Troy Terry comes out of his spot on the top line, and Max Jones stays on the top line and actually moves to the right wing to make way for Sonny Milano. David Back is still out of the lineup. Derek Grant comes in, or I guess stays in, and then Vanilla Terry comes in for the injured Carter Rowney. Yeah. Hampus Lindholm and Rowney both placed on the IR before this game. Ryan Miller ends up starting this game and, and actually had a pretty solid game. I can't really complain too much about his performance in this one. But you know the ridiculous thing is, and, and I think the thing I keyed in on right when I saw this lineup, is you've got a fourth line of Delorier, Grant, and Rennie Letary. And you look at the, the scratched players for the yeah. Ducks tonight. The scratch players, and I guess you know Adam Henrique isn't technically scratched. I believe he's just sitting on the taxi squad right now. But you could have had a fourth line, if you want to call it that, of Danton Heinen, Adam Henrique, and Troy Terry. Instead, you decide to go with Deloria Grant and Vinny Letary. That just kind of shows you where this team is at this point. They're they're pulling on strings. They they don't know what's going to work, and they're just like like I've said in past podcasts, just throwing throwing something on the wall and see if it sticks. I don't understand why Bacchus isn't necessarily in the lineup uh, versus Grant. Grant hasn't done anything of note this season, although, you know, I love him as elite center one, but I haven't seen anything this season that makes me think he is a better option than Bacchus. Rowney goes down. Uh, you could you can plug in Henrique through injury, and if there's some sort of touchiness about him going there, where he might be traded, and you don't want to injure him, uh, put Troy Terry in. But I mean, it's just Carter Rowney's not there. Derek Grant shouldn't be there. You got David Backus in there that should be there. Troy Terry, give him a different role, a different look, something else. I mean, not saying that he would do anything better than that fourth line, but. Yeah, I'm I'm beyond puzzled what they're trying to do or, or they're just they're just throwing everything and just seeing what might work at some point. I didn't and even then, mention even, David back. And then even in the game they still change things around that still don't make any sense. Yeah. I mean we have to get to that. I think we we got to go through the game before we get to that, but that's going to be a huge topic of you know mirroring the second period from the last game where Trevor Zegers was benched for the majority. And I don't know if bench is the right word, but not utilized for the majority of the second period in the last game and the third period in this game. And, and that's something we got to get to. We got to get through the first and the second here. We might as well just kind of jump into things right here. But uh, kind of a slow start to the first period and really to, to the entire game. There wasn't much happening. 
couple good chances from Jones and Getzlaff. Connor Garland had a breakaway, but just pushed the puck too far in front of himself and, and didn't end up getting a chance. Max Jones got a nice shot off on the rush, but other than that, not too many chances until 11 seconds left in the period where uh, it was, uh, I believe, a was it a Josh Mahura shot? That hit uh, no, it wasn't a Josh Mahura shot. I'm not, I don't remember who who shot it into Maxim Comtois, but it hits him in the chest, falls down to his feet, and he ends up backhanding it between his legs past Darcy Kemper to give the Ducks a one nothing lead. And you know when we talk about the kids taking a step forward, there is not much more you can ask from Maxim Comtois right now. Yeah. Eight eight goals in twenty games. He's on a thirty two goal pace across a regular eighty two game season. I don't remember being able to say that about a Ducks forward, I guess, since Ricard Raquel when he ended yeah. up scoring 30 goals uh, in back-to-back seasons. And, you know, it'd be a 32-goal, 54-point season for Maxim Comtois the way he's going right now. He's the only guy that's really getting it done for the Ducks right now. Yeah, and, you know, he, <laughs> he did in a very odd fashion that puck luck thing where it just hits him in the chest, drops down, and then, oh, yeah, just... Well, just batted between between my legs, past the goalie's leg, right in the middle of the net. Um, you know, that that's an odd one. But if you're feeling it and it's your season and things are just kind of clicking for you, then those are the kind of ones that go in. And you're just happy that that guy's on your team. Um, ha- happy he did it. Uh, to your point, this definitely, you would think, after blowing the game last you know, last game that they come out and maybe have a similar start to the first period they did in the first game. And it really wasn't. It was more of just, uh, we're not quite sure how we're going to play this and a little bit back and forth. And then just a real random play, puck luck, and right at the end of the period, which usually goes the other way. Uh, Usually that's against us. But the fact that it went in and it was Max Comtois, you're just like, all right, okay, that's a great start. We can move into the second period, and at least we got a lead, and we're not the ones down a goal. So, but uh, yeah, the the kids are the ones that are leading the way because it doesn't seem like any veterans or semi veterans are really doing much in the way of putting up goals. Yeah, and, and the kids are the ones creating chances too. I mean, you know, to start the second period, Trevor Zegers had a nice feed to Silverberg. He just couldn't hit the net, and I, you know, I think that's the fourth time I've said that in the last couple of days since Trevor Zegers has been called up. He hit Raquel twice in the last game, and he couldn't bury it. He hits Silverberg in this one. He can't bury it. And then we get uh, to Josh Mahura, who we thought Trevor Zegers picked up his first NHL assist. It turns out when he swatted the puck, it goes to an Arizona player who tries to clear it. It hits Sam Steele, goes to Josh Mahura at the mm. point. His first shot is blocked, and then he gets another uh, shot off on, on one knee and ends up beating... Darcy Kemper and Trevor Zegras almost got a piece of it in front of the net too, just yeah. waved and missed at it. But uh, man, I mean, we're talking about the kids. Josh Mahura, one goal, one assist. Probably could have been two goals, but David Backus tipped in the first one. He got a small piece of that one. Very similar plays for Josh Mahura. And this is a guy who just every time he comes up for the Ducks over the last couple of seasons, he played 17 games two years ago, played 11 last year, and now three games this year. And he, all he does is put up points at a decent pace, like a 25-point pace in his last two seasons, but he just didn't play enough games. And, and, you know, he's just one of those guys who's victims to having an easy contract to send back and forth right now and the Ducks having too many players on, on deals that they would have to send through waivers. But he just keeps on producing and keeps on playing well. And I'm wondering if that's going to be, you know, 
if it's not already just kind of a detriment to the Ducks. It's like put in the players that are going to produce, and if the players that you have have to go through waivers and may get claimed off or, or however it goes, I, I just feel like if Mahur, like Mahur is here, and kind of the only reason he's here is because Lindholm wasn't able to play, but he's very close, and so we may not see Mahura after this. Or, you know, and, you know, I would just rather see like a Hutton go down or someone else. And if they get claimed off a waiver, so be it. Um, but this is kind of that, that same thing. It's like, well, listen, give these guys a chance and maybe they'll, you know, inject some offense, some some youth. Apparently, that's the only thing that's working for the Ducks is kind of getting these guys in there to do things. And I, I hate that that mentality of, well, they haven't earned it. We haven't seen enough or he's got an easy contract to bury. So we're just going to, you know, not do that. You're already poor at, uh, you know, talent management. So I would just say anyone who can produce gets to stay. Anyone who's not goes on taxi squad. And then at some point, if there's too many people on the taxi squad, whoever is least productive is the one who has to go down. Longtime listeners of the show know I'm a big fan of Josh Mahura. Yeah. But, the management and, and I guess the mismanagement of him so far in his short NHL career is, is ridiculous. And, and a lot of it has to do with the kind of misdirection of the team and, and the fact that they want to try and be a win now team. Like Josh Maher has come up and every time he's come up, he's played well. And I think he's looked like an NHL defenseman, but he hasn't been given that shot and he's been sent back down to the American Hockey League. And you look at the beginning of this year without bringing in Kevin Shattenkirk and without bringing in Ben Hutton, there's a spot. For Josh Mahura in this lineup, but the team wanted to win now. And you look again, we revisit those comments when Shattenkirk signed and Shattenkirk saying that Bob Murray painted a picture that this was a team that could get back to the playoffs and he could be a big part of that. <laughs> and that project has failed and we're in year one of a $3.9 million contract that has two more years on it. And Ben Hutton comes in and signs a PTO and signs a one year deal with the Ducks. And he's not even close to the same level as Josh Maharis. I don't even think defensively he's better than Josh Maharis. And that's what he was brought in to do. And, you know, Jakob Larson's kind of skated under the wire here this season because I think he's been better than the last couple seasons. And there's been a lot of guys who've been worse than him. But I would say Josh Maharis is a better defenseman than him too. And he can't make his way into the lineup at this point. It, it's, it, it's just ridiculous that the Ducks – see the pr- progression, see the progress from a player like this. And the only way he got in the lineup to begin with is because Hampus Lindholm was injured. Mm-hmm. Now he's come in, he's done well. And I still think when Lindholm comes back, he's he'll gone. be back down to San Diego. Uh-huh. He could, he, he's there, he got two points in three games. He could, Lindholm could come back next week when he gets off the IR and Mahura could have, you know, four, four or five points in, in five games. And I would still think I would still bet money. The Ducks send him down to San Diego. I just love the fact that Bob Murray had disguised himself as Michelangelo while he's actually a Picasso. Like he's showing Shattenkirk, oh, the beauty of what's going to happen on underneath. It's like it's jacked up and I have no idea where this is going or what's happening over here. But I'm just going to just hopefully things start working out. But please come on over. Here's a Sistine Chapel and uh, it, we're all good here. So. Uh, it, yeah, it blows my mind that uh, they, they can't seem to assess the talent that they have, especially from a defensive side. 
uh, short of being able to understand that Lindholm is one to keep. Other than that, they're, they're piss poor management of defensemen um, is is odd because he's he's so big on defensemen bob murray is on on cultivating them protecting them making sure that we get the right people for that vatnin goes theater goes and we're gonna, we're gonna sign Ch- yeah, yeah montour's gone we're gonna we're gonna sign chattenkirk uh, stoner gets a big uh, contract uh, we're gonna sign bxa but we don't really know exactly what he's gonna bring to us i mean it's just it it, it, it just continues to go on and i'll be happy once that stops <laughs> you know like i'd love to be I've been privy to that conversation between shattenkirk and bob murray because i think it's a load of bs when he said he painted a picture that they'd be a competitive team no he's the probably one of the only guys who would have given you that extra year that you wanted otherwise you would have went back to tampa bay why would you come to anaheim if you could have gone back to tampa bay and got a you know similar contract, he would have gone back to Tampa Bay, but the Ducks offered him. So you say you saying he got he got his Stanley Cup, and now he's looking for money. I I mean I you know I again I I can't say for sure, but it 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 seems like it right mm-hmm. like it. I don't I don't know why Anaheim would be a destination that as a player you could look at and and say oh yeah this is a team that's going to compete for the playoffs when they finished you know almost bottom five last year, and you know the general manager is selling you on on what at this point he can't sell the fan base on being competitive we'd laugh when he says they're a win now team you know kevin shattenkirk i would feel like is a smart enough guy that he'd look at this roster and say there's no absolute way they're going to be a competitive team but at the end of the day at his age and where he is in his career he's now achieved everything he needs yeah, he won, to. He's he won, won the his cup. Stanley cup he had a one-year deal to go to tampa and do that and he did it why not get paid and i think of two things, the Ducks were one of the only teams to probably give him that extra year, and their money was probably right near the top of what most teams were offering him. And at that point, you just got to go and make a decision, and you get to live in California for three yeah, years. Yeah, so <laughs> like, California is like, all right, cool. He's just because like, that—that's what it feels like. He skates on the ice. He's like, ah, man, I suck today. I'm gonna go back to my home. It's right next to the beach. Look at my Stanley I'll Cup. I'll be right. good. I'll be good. Yeah. Dude, yeah you're telling me if right Tampa matched that, that right offer. Off of that sun that there? glistens just so beautifully. <laughs> California sunset. <laughs> it, it's unreal. Okay, let, let's move on from Shanker because we could rip on him for days. Uh, couple penalties by the Coyotes. And eventually, Hamilton goes off for tripping. And you called right before this. You said Trevor Zegers is going to score his first power play goal. Oh, so I was trying so hard. <laughs> I was trying to will it into existence. It feels like it, though, every time he's out there. Because every time he gets on the power play, you everybody's looking for him. Because they know what he can do. And ever since he's come up to this team, it's just been two games. But the power play looks dangerous. Because he makes something happen every time he's out there on the power play and you look at this specific one here where he gets a, a shot he probably should have shot it but he gets a pass that comes across yeah. to him and instead of shooting it he gets down on one knee and fires a, a nice pass to sam Steele. it just catches steel in the foot it's a little bit behind him but we've talked about this before when zegris you know he has the confidence to do something again and again and again and he gets the puck in that position a second time and this time he shoots it and it was actually a pretty decent shot he was trying to go under the blocker above the pad and kemper just made a nice uh, you know a, a nice save there where he got the blocker in position to kind of block it down and hit the pad and stay out but Zegris again he's just cooking on the power play and we know he has an ability we've seen it at every level and it's one of those things that eventually 
those are going to start going in or he's going to be finding these guys uh, at the back post or whatever. Like the points are going to come for him on the power play because he's creating every time he's out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and he does, he does little subtle things. I've watched on that, that power play too, that, um, you know, you might see it when he's doing it in the world juniors or he's doing it in the AHL or maybe even at Boston where the, the competition isn't, necessarily isn't as high as obviously as high as the nhl but he's just doing little things where it's almost like kind of just like he does like a little little fake like he might be going this way but then he's just making a direct pass to the guy he wanted to in the first place he made the other person move so he could make that pass happen and that misdirection is is not a you know is not a common talent it's a unique talent and is basically making people move out of the way so he can do what he's trying to do if it's not already there. So to see all of that and to see him still do it at the NHL level and have it work, I mean, yeah, you maybe wish he'd shot on that one, but he was also looking at backdoor for a slam dunk play that just didn't quite work out. He learned from it, got his second chance, fired it, that could have snuck in too, but you're also going against Darcy Kemper, who's been one of the best goalies of the last two or three seasons um, and a big goalie and was able to kind of hold that in there. But yeah, I was hoping, I just felt like he was, he was good enough and was making enough good plays and a lot of uh, misdirection that I thought eventually those would start, start going in. So I missed it, but I still felt like that was just, it's always a deadly power play when he's out there, especially on the half wall. I mean, now it's not, Getzloff doesn't have to be there anymore. Getzloff could be somewhere else. I'm actually waiting for Getzloff to be on the same power play unit as Zegras. Cause I think that would be just, I don't know how anyone would defend it. You gotta like, I don't know what either one of these guys are going to do. So I'm just going to wait till it happens. Just have each of them on, on, on each uh, circle, just wings, passing back yeah. and forth to <laughs> each other across. Uh, 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 no uh. shots on goal, but they just pass <laughs> to each other. But, you know, the, for, for the first time in, in a while, it feels like the Ducks have two distinct power play units with different philosophies. The first unit with Zegris and I believe Raquel's on the unit with Silverberg and Sam Steele, it, it's a bit more of a methodical approach to get it to Zegris, to kind of work the puck around, find the open shot, and eventually get for the one-timer. When you get that second unit out there with Getzlaff and Max Jones and, and Maxim Comtois, it is a bit more of just throw the puck to the net and hope something happens. And you kind of get this on, on Max Jones' second power play goal in as many games here where they just kind of throw a puck to the net, it bounces around a couple times, lands to Max Jones. And the one thing we mentioned on the last podcast that he does so well is he just finds pucks that are loose in front of the net. And he ends up making a good effort to get a backhander on it, scoops it past Darcy Kemper, 3 nothing Ducks. And, you know, Max Jones, as of late, has taken a huge step forward. Now, it's, it's about consistency from here on out from him. But, you know, we talked about him in the last podcast being... A, a very good net front presence on the power play because of his hands and tight because of his size and his ability to block out of the block out the sun in front of the net and he's showing he can do it right now and you know if you want to stick in the lineup at this point especially a guy like jones who's been in and out of the lineup every now and then you got you got to produce we've said that about jones for a long period of time you know I, at this point with back-to-back goals and playing on the on the first line i can't see him coming out of the lineup for a guy like troy terry or really anybody else right now 
Yeah, oddly enough, if you want to try and compare him to what Nick Ritchie is doing in Boston, it's kind of a similar thing. It's like he's, he's not really lighting it up five on five, but he's going to be uh, a huge ass right in front of the opposing goalie on the power play. And if you can start smacking some of those pucks in, do it. And even on the, the goal today uh, for him, it was – a little bit of puck luck. He just happened to hit it at the right time. It dropped right to him, but he capitalized on it and he did it quickly and he didn't think about it and he just didn't try to place it. And, you know, he, he's been so snake bitten when he tries too hard. And it's good to see him just get on those power play goals where it's just funnel it in, smack it around, see see what crosses the line, see see what you can sniff out and get, get a goal in there. So, I'm happy for him because we've been dying for him to just score goals because we think he's an NHL player and he can be a player on the Ducks, but he's also a unique player on the Ducks because he's the only one that's going to be doing that. I cannot see anybody else standing in front of the net on a power play or kind of in any situation and stay there long enough to be able to bat home a goal and take the beating that he needs to. He's just going to be one of those guys you just love to have on your team. Right. Like he he gets the gritty goals. He plays physically, sticks up for his teammates. You know, he took a a, like a couple of, you know, like all of a sudden when we got into the third period, he was like punching around with the the goalie and other other defenders. I mean, yeah, when it got to three, two, he he started kind of mixing it up. And I think there was a point where there was a a, a double double or both of them went off for roughing and he took Ekman Larson off the ice, right? Like it's one of those guys who will pick out somebody on the opposing team, mix it up with them and, and get both, you know, corresponding minors and take a guy like Ekman Larson off the ice. And and it's those little things that Max Jones does that are going to be so valuable to this team. And it is already pretty valuable to this team. Obviously they don't have that. We don't have anything close to that on the forward end of it. I mean, we got a Josh Manson that'll little mix it up and do that. The Laurier every now and again, but as I watch games and, and I, and I try and go back like two seasons when the, the two or three seasons when the ducks were relevant, um, we were mean, we were edgy, we were willing to mix it up. And I do not see that, have not seen that in three years, uh, you know, the last two seasons. Have it, and, and I very rarely see it this season unless Max Jones is in there or, you know, like I said, Josh Manson or occasionally gets lost in there, but you don't need him doing that all the time. We just don't have those guys anymore. So the fact that we got Max Jones and he's playing and doing what we need to do, um, you know, just I'm, I'm all about it. The more the more I can see, the better. The, the best thing, too, is D.B. Lowry brings up a good point in our chat here. He says, Jones, he seems to bring out the mean side of Getzlaff. And <laughs> I don't even know if it's just the mean side, but the young side, the young. He, he brings the energy <laughs> to that line and he 100%. gets Getzlaff going at times. And, and, you know, Getzlaff at his age and he's still a great player, but he has a, the you know, occasional time in, in games now where he kind of just disappears and, and looks lulls. disengaged and yeah has some lulls. And Jones will just kind of provide that spark every now and then that just kickstarts gets left back into the game. And, and that's why, you know, we've been saying for a while that he's he just fits with Ryan Getzlaff right now. And he's just the type of player that I think needs to be on a line with Ryan Getzlaff. It doesn't matter if you have Milano or Terry or whoever else on that line, in, in in my opinion. And maybe eventually Zegers makes his way on that line at some point. But 
Yeah, like it's he's just the perfect fit. Light. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he brings, you know, everything. But, of course, the elite goal scoring touch that, that Perry had in his prime. But he does everything else that we're so used to Perry doing for so many years. If you can tell, we're prolonging getting to the third period here because we are, we're talking all positives no, right now. We'll do the first yeah. 10 minutes. <laughs> it, and, you know, the first thing that happened in, in the third was Darcy Kemper ends up leaving the crease. Uh, still no explanation that I've seen on why he was injured. I believe he's listed as day-to-day um, right now. i do not exactly sure what happened, but Aiden Hill ends up coming into the game. Uh, Ryan Miller makes his best save of the game. Andre Kajula, a, a pretty sweet toe save off a nasty deflection. That he just kind of, it's just one of those nice saves that you see where it just sticks to the pad. Uh-huh. He gets just a piece of it and it falls flat in the ice and he ends up covering it. But Ryan Miller's doing this at the like He had an excellent game despite the score line that eventually happened. I thought he looked rock solid in this one. Yeah, he, he does everything. He always does. I mean, he gives you a, a solid performance. There's very rarely, you know, easy goals that go in. And even with that save and how the game was going, my thought was, you know, like, Ducks fans are going to go like, oh, see, Ryan Miller should be starting. Gibson sucks. Ryan Miller can stop this team. And it's like, eh. But, you know, eventually it plays out the way it does. But I was just... I was just thinking, like, once again, Ryan Miller, we're, we're so spoiled in the fact that we get a John Gibson, and even if he has a bad night, and Ryan Miller gets to be your backup. And in my opinion, he could still still be a starter in this league. Uh, there's plenty of teams that should probably take him as a starter. Um, so we're, we're fortunate enough, again, another season of having somebody who can come in and backstop this team. And the team, you know, if they can produce goals, great. But if they could start to defend in the third or last half of any game, you'd start seeing, you know, Gibson, they have four shutouts, five shutouts. They don't have to be one nothing. Ryan Miller can have a shutout at three nothing. It'd be super great if that were to start happening. Um, but Ryan Miller had another strong performance. And, and once again, the goals that go in, it's hard to fault him on on any of them, especially that second one that is going three feet wide and goes in off a hockey pot. It goes and just like bounces around and goes in. Is like, well, what's he going to do? He's got to play the shot. The shot goes way wide, hits your own defenseman, goes right behind you. And it's like, oh, dude, Miller should have had that. Should have yeah. had it. <laughs> you, you can look at all three of those, and we're not going to dwell on them too much, but the yeah. pitlick goal is a deflection. The chickering goal, like pitlick deflected the puck past Ryan yeah. Miller. The yeah. chicken goal is going wide, like you said. It hits off Hockepa's skate. Three, and three feet wide. And, yeah. and I don't even blame Hockepa because he's literally three feet away. This shot is so horrible. It somehow hits. And then I guess I guess it's Hockepa's fault because he's such a good shot blocker. <laughs> it's going three feet <laughs> wide. Still somehow finds him and then somehow goes in the net. <laughs> How do you improve on, on already being a good shot blocker? You now add <laughs> goal scoring in your own net to the repertoire. Stay five feet away, I'm still going to block that shot, sometimes into my own net. <laughs> and, and even the, the last goal, the, the, the Phil Kessel goal, it's an excellent pass by Connor Garland, and Phil Kessel's wide open. 
at the yeah. back post. Though, uh, you know, I know you don't expect Connor Garland to get that pass off, but somebody's got to be covering Phil Kessel yeah. at, at this point in the game after blowing, you know, almost blowing a, a three-goal lead for a second time in in back-to-back games. That's that one's not on Ryan Miller because there's nothing you can do there. It's a pinpoint pass to the back post, and it's a tap-in, and mm-hmm. and it's a perfect goal for a right-handed shot like Phil Kessel. He just has to have a stick on the ice. And at that point, it just hits a stick and goes into the back of the net. So, yeah. you know, that's more on the Ducks' defense again than it is Ryan Miller. Yeah, I got a couple thoughts on that one. Yeah, Ryan Miller's not going to do much, um, especially when it goes all the way from the boards, zipped all the way across. And this is what I actually like. Like, most people go like, oh, if you're on that side, you need to be a left-handed shot because then your shot's in the slot area, and that's better. I'm far more, if they're talented enough, having a right-hand shot on his far wing, especially on plays like that, I feel like that gives him better options short side or, you know, it makes the goalie have to go even further to try and get to something like that. Um, Second thing was, is this is when Derek Grant was out there with Sam Steele and uh, In place of Trevor Zegras. In in place of Zegras. Now, Sam Steele is out there, should have, should have had that stick up there. But when you've got two different centers trying to play in there and figure it out, and it's like, why not just stick with what was working for two damn periods? Why all of a sudden the last five minutes when we're we're on our heels, we're not producing any sort of offense, we're just taking a beating and hoping the, you know, everything holds you put Derek Grant, who hasn't done anything, hasn't been great defensively. You put him with Sam Steele. Now you got two centers out there, and it's just it's more confusion than you know than anything. And and that's really just annoying to watch when it's just we could have been pushing offense, and we just stopped. We just completely stopped and just said, okay, put Delorier on the first line, put uh, Grant with uh, and Zegers's place, and it's like. Why? How how much are you trying to ring in his his game time? And this wasn't like a face-off in the defensive zone where maybe uh, it's not going to be that good. I think that whole sequence with Grant started either in the neutral zone or in the offensive zone face-off. Um, so I just, it just once again, it's just that's where I kind of lost a little bit of it's the player's my mind has always been it's it's you know the players aren't aren't finishing if they get chances they and they're not finishing that's on the players uh, if they're not getting chances or it's it's poor placement of players then that's on the coaching staff and i had been good on the coaching staff because i felt like the ducks had been getting chances they just hadn't finished and that's more on the players but I don't know with Zegers coming in. I'm just I'm baffled how they keep switching the lineup just because Zegers is there, and it doesn't make sense to me. And that's where I start thinking: okay, the coaching staff is either really protecting him and they're being told to, or they're doing it and they just don't know what they have, or they're 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 oblivious to what they have. I guess. I don't know. I'm just. It just feels like Trevor, or not Trevor, uh, Dallas Higgins just doesn't understand how to handle this situation. But he can figure it out for like, you know, seventy percent of the game, and then he just messes it up and overthinks it for a period. And, and yeah, it like, how, the Ducks. how much time has he been on there? No, no, it's too much, too much, too much. Get, you know, like, go to bed early. You look at the the second period in the last game. Dallas Aiken's comments were always oh, a disjointed period, and you know, we didn't want to you know expose him to that. 
but that's when he really started that line juggling and popping Derek Grant into offensive zone faceoffs or DeLorean into defensive zone faceoffs, taking Trevor Zegers out of the lineup. He only played just over two minutes at five on five or in general in that second period the other day. Through the first 40 minutes of this game, I felt like they were using him pretty well. I thought he was he was playing, you know, after the first period, he played the fifth most at five on five or of, of any Ducks forward. After the second, it was relatively the same. And then they get into the third period and, and you know, the Coyotes get one goal and they just start overthinking things. And then all of a sudden, Zegers is out for a defensive draw and Dolores in or Grant's in on the goal for Phil Kessel. Or there was an offensive zone draw where Derek Grant came in for Trevor Zegers. And it's like, they're not doing that for anybody else. So now you're changing your lineup and you're overthinking things to what in what your mind or what Dallas Aiken's mind is to benefit Trevor Zegers. But it's clearly harming the team at this point. It's just creating chaos on the ice. Guys not aren't really knowing what's going on at this point. And Dallas Higgins is catering the lineup to what he thinks is protecting Trevor Zegras. And it's now resulted in back-to-back blown 3-0 leads because he is overthinking it and swapping guys in and out to put Trevor Zegras on the bench at that point. And and I honestly don't think it's because he thinks Trevor Zegers is playing bad. I just think he has this notion in his head that he doesn't want to throw him out there in in tough situations and have him fail and have that you know hurt his confidence. But nothing is going to hurt this kid's confidence. You need to throw him out there in these situations. If that's his line, keep him on that line. I could understand in the last two minutes of a game, if it's a defensive zone draw, it's a one goal lead. And you want to not have Zegers out there and, you know, put somebody out there who's a bit more defensively responsible. But that person is not Derek Grant. And that person is not Nick Delorier. That's a Ryan Getzlaff. That's a, you know, Adam Henrique if he's in the lineup. That's a Jakob Silverberg. You know, that's a Danton Heinen if they're in the lineup. Somebody who's proven in those situations they're a go-to guy. But they're taking him out, you know, 10 minutes left in the game. For an offensive zone draw to put Derek Grant out there, what what is the what is the thought process there? Because it's a tough game now that you've messed it up and it's it, it's three two after you were leading three nothing. At that point, you're 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 throwing the game, you're, you're losing the game because you're overthinking it, and it's just ridiculous. And 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 Dallas Aikens deserves all the hate and, and all the the criticism he's going to get for losing these last two games, yeah. because just as much as as it's the players' faults. For blowing this lead, a lot of it is on him, on him and the way he managed his lineup for these last two games against the Coyotes. I think the third period was a perfect example of where, where, like you said, he he overthought it, and the the Ducks just crumbled because you you had a three nothing lead, and granted, it wasn't exactly you know just you know your 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 overwhelming suppression of another team but they got enough to get a three goal lead and, and they did it playing it right utilizing not only zegris but all, all four lines in the right aspect and then once they got to the third period it became a chip it out of the zone get it back to neutral try to do a line change and then start juggling crap around and you stop pushing the pace you stop 
trying for offense and you started to do prevent defense and there's nothing I hate more and there's nothing that'll kill you quicker in the modern NHL than is playing prevent defense. Just get it out, wait for the next wave and see what happens. I mean, cause it's just, it's not going to work. And if you want to, you know, rely on your, your, your Gibsons, your Millers, uh, eventually things are just going to start going south. If you can push the issue and it's never in your zone, there's your defense by offense. And um, and the, the the fact that it just seemed that they, they wanted to pull Zegras out to put somebody else in because they want to play more defense or they wanted bigger guys or guys that could win face-offs, it just it doesn't make any sense. And that's, that's where... Uh, Aikens lost me um, because I thought they had done such a great job through the rest of the game, creating offensive chances, capitalizing on ones that maybe not necessarily a grade A, but at least they were competing, if not doing a little bit better than the team they were playing against. And then all of a sudden they just decided we're going to forego offensive chances to just get in a shell and uh, let's protect what we can and put our most defensive players out there. And then what's the result? Another blown three-goal lead. It's just a bad recipe, and I don't see any success if he's going to try and keep doing that. And it just felt like uh, even the broadcast says, like, yeah. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. After the you know, the the third period was about to end, he's like, "Oh, he's played 14 minutes. One more minute than he played the last game." I'm like, oh, okay. So, so they're just gonna keep doing like one more minute every game until he's finally up to where he should be. It's like, no, epic. Just put him in there. Why are you holding them back? Just put him in there. What horrible thing could happen? Oh, you blew a three goal lead. <laughs> we do that anyways without him. Who gives a crap? Play him. Let the kid play. He's going to be a starter. He's going to be a legit star if you give him the opportunity to sit there and go like, well, I don't want to get really sad that he was out there and we lost it. Oh, he's going to feel way better sitting on the bench watching it. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah, at this point, I mean, there, there's no argument for... 
benching him or protecting him or, or whatever. Uh, Shane had a good quote in our chat that I got to go back and find here when we were talking about confidence. But he said, what's the difference? You're going to hurt his confidence telling him you don't trust him anyway. Right. If you're if you're trying to keep his confidence up by not putting him in those situations, you're doing just as much harm by not putting them in those situations and showing that you trust him to be out there for that. And listen, I get the premise behind it and wanting to kind of you know shelter his minutes, but there's a proper way to go about it. And then there's a point where you get in the game where you're overthinking it and you know you're saying should i have him out here for this this face off should i have him at this draw should i have him out there in this situation or, or that situation and you you see that from Dallas Higgins and it's not the thing is it's not like it's throughout the entire game he just gets in his head at certain points in the game with the ducks aren't controlling just keep the him play. on the same line there's your yeah. solution wherever that line plays he's on that line he is part of that line if you're going to put him on the third line the second line the first line you play him as a first second or third third line player you don't put him as a third line they go like "Uh oh game's getting a little weird i'm gonna put a fourth line guy in your spot you sit on the bench for all play him as a third line let him know what his role is i mean let him play up to second line minutes if you want to but don't don't just start cherry picking when you want to put him in there and when things get a little rough the kid's gonna get razzled and this kid's not going to i mean if anything ever for anybody else like yeah they haven't. They didn't do this for any other kids. And I get Trevor Zegras is is different, and he's the top prospect the Ducks have had probably since Bobby Ryan and before that, that Paul Korea, right? So it's a once in a generation thing for the Ducks to have this exciting and this talented of a prospect. But it doesn't mean you treat him differently than the guys you already have in your system. If anything, it means you give him more responsibility than the players you have in the past. Isaac Linderstrom came out of the draft stepped into a seven-game or nine-game trial and was put in difficult decisions. And I get he's a defensive forward and, and whatever, but he was 18, fresh out of the draft, playing in Sweden. And they said, you know what? For nine games, we're going to throw you right into the fire and you're going to be our third-line center and you're going to get everything. You're going to get the full experience. Now they have an almost 20-year-old Trevor Zegras who was just an exceptionally talented player and they're sitting here saying oh well we don't want to put you in those tough situations because we're afraid of of whatever i mean i don't even know why like i could sit here and say oh you're afraid or whatever but there's really no logical explanation for why you're doing it other than that you're overthinking the situation and you think it's going to be detrimental to his development for him to be out there on a defensive zone faceoff and for the opposing team to score that's where you take he takes those situations and learns from them, and yeah. it doesn't happen again. How is he going to learn from that situation and understand what to do on a defensive zone draw, tight in a game, a th- you know, one goal game, if he doesn't experience it, go through it, fail, <laughs> and then learn from that mistake and do it again? Hundred percent. It, like you, I get, it's it's two yeah. games, but still, it it it's it's two games too many to be treating a player like this and to. And singling him out. Nobody else is getting this treatment. Sonny Milano's not coming out. Well, actually, Sonny Milano did for one shift. But, you know, Troy Terry, Max Jones, Sam Steele, Maxime Comtois, you know, they're not getting this treatment. Vinny Letary's not getting this treatment. And he's an AHL forward. He's not coming out on certain plays uh, off the fourth line because the Ducks aren't confident. The fourth line's getting put out there in situations that are, are key, key defensive zone draws. But Trevor Zegers gets taken out of the lineup or taken out. He sat on the bench for those 
for those situations. It's, it's just it's baffling at yeah. this point, and and I don't see it changing. That's the sad thing. I I think it will. I think it, I think once again, I think they're going to progress one minute at a time. Yeah, thirteen minutes last game, fourteen minutes this game, fifteen minutes next game, sixteen. It, it'll progress, in my opinion. They'll just kind of ease them into whatever the hell their vision is at, for this season. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't feel it. I don't feel it's a detriment at this point, given how confident he is, how good he looks out there, that if he, if he's out there and it, he gave up a goal, he's the kind of guy that wants to be better. will talk to his line mates and then literally will probably watch a video and go like, Oh, that's where I screwed up. Okay. Okay. I got that. All right. I, I can do that better next time. And he even said that in the AHL. He's like, I had great coaches that kind of really helped me figure out. I learned, I think his quote was, I learned a lot from my coaches in the AHL. I learned a whole different side of the game. And, you know, it's, the NHL is a different thing. He's going to go through some struggles for sure. Um, but, I mean, his his whole thing is to be offensive and to help out on the offensive side of things. And when you're the Ducks team that needs offense, fucking put him there. So what? He makes a mistake. He gets to go back, look at it. It's not like, oh, he made the mistake in the Stanley Cup Finals and now the kid's going to crumble forever. He got to play up in the NHL. He's playing on a team that really is struggling, but he's going to learn where he needs to improve on. And so put him in those difficult situations. Don't don't fucking baby him right now. He's he's not a baby. The kids the kid can play, so let him play. They're putting him in a bubble at this point, yeah, so, and, and expecting him. that if we don't just let give anything him, hurt him, he's, yeah, he's we'll give fragile. him all the power play time he wants, and <laughs> we'll try and just give him you know cushioned five on five <laughs> time, and that's going to be the best for his development. Ultimately, it's like not playing Troy Terry until there's a shootout. Yeah, you know, ultimately <laughs> it, it just seems the the worst position for me and it, it, it makes me fear for when jamie drysdale comes up and what they're going to do with him and i know it's a bit different with defensemen and it's he's, harder to i show don't think up. i don't think he's coming up until no no not this year but when he eventually does make it so you know he's 18 now next year he'll be 19 he'll be at the same age that zegris is making his debut this year if he comes up next year and they try and do the same thing with him now akins and bob murray might not be here at that point so he might not murray have definitely. to worry about that murray definitely won't be here but, you know, it just makes you worry for their approach with these top prospects because Zegers and Drysdale are not the only ones who will be, you know, highly touted prospects on the way for the Ducks. The Ducks are going to get another top pick this year, likely. They're going to probably get another top pick next year. And there's going to be a lot of these guys on the way. And I don't like this approach to developing these guys and, and, and giving them a taste of, of NHL experience. Up until he played his game, I liked everything they were doing. They gave him a bit of time in the AHL. They let him dominate. They said, okay, we're going to call you up for this game. We're going to play you. And then the moment he hit the ice and Dallas Aiken started his you know, voodoo with the lines, it, it kind of went out the window. And it made you yeah. say, like, what? why even do How all do this? How do we screw this up? How do we yeah. screw this one up? It's just... It's uh, we, I mean, it, it, it could have been, it could have been so nice. Uh, you know, I, we just got to get through the season. And this is why we're in therapy, everyone. Hi everyone for therapy, but I can't see my mug, but it's, it's therapy and you know, we'll all get through this. We'll all be better on the next season. Um, we just got to get through this 
stupid season where I was overly optimistic that players would return to form and we'd have some youngers, you know, make that next step. It hasn't really happened. Power play still sucks without Max Jones. Would you think I would have ever said that, by the way, at the start of the season? It wasn't no. for Max Jones. This His power play would really suck. And, and honestly, like, I'm, I'm okay with them being bad yeah. if that's the clear direction you're going in. If you've sold off the assets and brought in young players and given them more responsibility and said, hey, we're building for the future. But there's there's a clear disconnect here between what this team really is and what Bob Murray thinks they are. And that's when you get the signing of Kevin Shankirk and the, and the you know, the, the contract re-ups of Silverberg and Henrique and, you know, the bringing in of Ben Hutton on a PTO and, and whatnot. And, and these decisions to leave young kids out of the lineup like Josh Mahura to make way for those guys, it, it just shows that there's a, a lack of, of kind of an idea of, of where this franchise really is at, at, a, at an organizational level and at a management level. And, and that's the problem. So, you know, we could move into next year and, and at that point having a new GM and everything changes, but it's going to take a while because you can't just, you know, as you've seen with the Adam Henrique situation, you can't just move all these deals out at this point. You know, Henrique is an immovable contract, as is, unless you retain. Silverberg might eventually get to that point or could already be at that point. I would argue Cam Fowler with that contract is at that point in, in this period of time. And as you push further and further and further in, in more seasons, there's going to be more guys like that. And, you know, Ryan Getzlaff is going to sign a new contract after this year. It's going to be nowhere near the amount that he makes now and that would be beneficial to the ducks they have to nail that contract it has to be at the most two years and and for nothing really more than five million for for it to, to not look ridiculous but that's a, that's a whole nother topic either way we gotta we gotta get back to, to the last <laughs> part of the game here because we got a lot of post game stuff I thought uh, we were done. <laughs> well we we had ot good save from hill isaac lindershaw uh, yeah. ended it uh but it was a, a you know, a, a glove save by Aiden Hill, I feel like didn't get hyped up enough. I thought it was a great glove save. I know Lundestrom didn't get a, a full piece of it, but it was uh, a pretty good effort from a goalie who did who played 10 minutes before this or 15 minutes before overtime and came in cold to this game. Full 20, uh, I thought. Did yeah. he show? Did he show up the whole the whole third? Right. He came up. Uh, I guess he came up. Uh, came in about 16 minutes left in the third period, so he did play majority of the of that. Uh, Okay, see, I missed the first five minutes of the third period, so that's why I was like, "Oh, why is he starting? Now, what happened in the second period that I did, that I missed?" So, um, no, I mean, you know, that's good, but I mean, but that that point, he was he was kind of warmed up. He he had his chances. It was all right. It was a miss. It was uh, it, it, that needed to go a little bit higher, but it, it kind of went right into the glove. Those are kind of the the things where goalies kind of move over and you shoot it in the glove and you're like, oh, yeah, that's all I gave him was just my glove. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like you'll, you'll take it. It was it was a nice stop. But at the same time, like there, there was room up high and it was just I think it was more of a misfire that could have been better. Yeah. But, but yeah, he got it. He gloved it. He didn't give a rebound. So that's all good. At the end of the day, we, we kind of got our consolation prize. Because Trevor Zegers only played, I think, 30 seconds in overtime, but he ends up being the first guy to step up for the shootout, and he shows everybody why he's in Why there. did they protect him? Right. Yeah. He, he walks in so casually, doesn't even make a move. 
just yeah. slowly kind of pivots Little into the center. Looks, all right, there's the pop. And, right, that's yeah, just whips, <laughs> whips a wrist shot. Doesn't he, you know? Doesn't really put too much power behind it. Like he he, he just pulls picks a it. stick back like less than a foot and then just whips it mm-hmm. into the top corner and and celebrates like he does this every day mm-hmm. because that's the, the the confidence level for Trevor Zegers. And you look at the the last two shooters for the Ducks after that, both of them missed, yeah. and Ricard Raquel missed the net completely. Um, and, and that's just how things have gone for Ricard Raquel this year. But again, like it's it's another example of of why you just you don't put this guy in a leash. Just yeah. like give him free reign to go out there and and make mistakes and and do what he does best, which is generate offense. And I know this is a shootout, and it's not exactly the same thing, but it just shows you the ability and the confidence he has in, in a game where you've blown a three nothing lead. You have a chance to salvage the full two points here. You're the he's the first shooter. Off the bench, he has a chance to set the tone for the entire team, and he just makes it look like it's his, you know, hundredth shootout attempt, and he does this every day, right? Like he's he's just that type of player, which just makes you baffled even more that they're they've set this leash on him and and they've kind of restricted him in this bubble and said, hey, we're, you know, we're gonna take things slow with you and and you know we're not gonna put you in tough situations. Yeah, my hope is that maybe that's it's finally finally an eye-opening thing for them. It's like, okay, he can put it in the net, and oh, okay, he's got that elite shot, and I I, I don't know. I just yeah, hope that maybe kind of is just something that like sticks in the back of the head of the coaches, and then they aren't maybe so shy about playing him in chances to 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 beat to be a difference maker because he's obviously that and that's and it was kind of surprising i don't know if you were surprised but i was absolutely surprised they even said hey not only do you get to go in the shootout you get to go first so like hey you know what? show us what you got and then he showed it and then everyone else who followed him failed miserably some not even hitting the net or the goalie um and it just you know i i hope that all changes. I think their next game is at home against Vegas. Yeah, I believe I so. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, my hope is that he's gained more trust because he hasn't really had a bad shift that I've seen. So a bad shift. He has had a bad shift. He has had a bad shootout. Um, it'd be great if they gave him more than 30 seconds on three on three, especially with his creativity and his ability to, move the puck around when he has space. Um, that Those would all be great things that the coaching staff should probably learn from, hopefully. Well, speaking of the coaching staff, I don't think I've ever seen a fan base that, you know, I, it's not like Dallas Higgins was getting undying support before these last two games. I think the tide was turning. I think if, if you ask people at the beginning of the season, I think there was still relatively some a lot of support for Dallas Aikens and for him to be given a chance and to see what he can do with this roster. As the season's gone on, that's dwindled. But even before the the you know the last Arizona game on Monday, I think there was still a lot of people in his corner that were saying, "Okay, just give him some time. This isn't a great team. Bob Murray's the real one messing this up here." And after these last two games. I feel like he's lost almost everybody's support. I don't think I've seen anybody in his corner. I think I've seen way more people critical of Dallas Eakins for good reason than I have at any point in his Anaheim Ducks tenure. And it doesn't help when you make comments like these at a post-game press conference. So 
Max Jones apparently stressed the fact that the Ducks got complacent in this game, which I think we can all see and all agree with. It's an obvious point. Mm -hmm. Dallas Aikens came out in his press conference and actually pushed back on that point and, and said that the Ducks weren't complacent. He liked the effort. And it's not the first time he's done that because go back to Monday's game. Cam Fowler came out and said the same thing. He said that the Ducks were complacent and you know they, they got lazy and they got too comfortable with their lead. And Dallas Higgins came out and said that he loved that they never quit. Which I don't understand how you can say a team never quit when you had a 3 nothing lead <laughs> and blew it in regulation and lost 4-3. See, like, this is where you start losing the support from those people who are willing to give you a chance when you're not recognizing what's going on. He's he's the player's coach, and it's becoming a fault at this point. He doesn't want to call anybody out. He doesn't want to say his players got complacent. He wants to be the, the uncle, the best friend, the, the guy who's always going to be supportive. And that doesn't always work. You know, not everybody's a John Tortorella or Mike Babcock, but not everybody, you know, that's not going to work for everybody. But neither is this approach from Dallas Aikens. And, and it clearly isn't at, at some point here. Like the Ducks clearly got complacent. Call it out. Mm-hmm. Remedy, remedy it in practice. Come out the next game firing on all cylinders. I don't have confidence in Dallas Aikens to be that guy anymore. And, and I was one of the people willing to give him a chance this year. And yeah. even up before the Arizona game, I still said, you know what, it's a bit early to be like, okay, get out of here. You know, I think we can say that for Bob Murray because of the, the, the how long his tenure has been and how bad it's been on this last stretch of, of his career with the Ducks. But Dallas Aikens is, is starting to shift my opinion here just based off the decision-making in the last couple of games, the handling of Trevor Zegras, and just the, the arrogance or the ignorance to come out and not recognize the issues you had in this game and call them out for what they are. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's two different messages. Cause in, in one breath, he's, he's saying we're going to bench guys and everyone has to be accountable and we're not looking for son-in-laws here. And then the other side, they obviously got complacent over two games and he's walking out and saying, listen, these guys are giving it all they've got. I mean, to a man, these guys are just, they're, they're doing everything we would expect them to do. It's like you're, you're giving two different messages here on, on, the, on the same thing. So you lose a little bit of credibility with the fan base. Um, you probably, in my opinion, lose a little bit of credibility with the players who are coming out and literally saying, yeah, that effort wasn't good enough. And then your coach comes out over top of you and goes, well, their effort was good. It just didn't result in what we thought. And it's kind of like, are you just saying that? And, and it's like, just just be realistic. We're, I think as a fan base and maybe even the players at some point are a little bit like, hey, let's let's call it what it is. We're in a rebuild. Let's let's make this happen. I mean, you can you can say we're not in a rebuild. The fans know it. We kind of know it. But GM, his coach. They're both saying, eh, not really. We just we need these guys to be better. Otherwise, you know, if they're not better, then that's 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 why we're not competitive because we should be a competitive team. And uh, I, I don't know. So it's I'd agree that I'm I'm a little little more disappointed in how they've handled their opportunities from a coaching staff perspective. Um, but you know, I. Once again, I, I, I think I think it 
it falls on the GM. I, there's got to be a new voice, and it's it's not players that need a new voice. I don't think. I, I feel like Bob Murray's done his his job as a GM. His job is to sell the ownership on his vision of what the team is and where it's going to go and how it's going to play out, and it's failed and it, it's not there. And the more he talks and the more he he claims it's going to go this way or that way, uh, it's not. Um, and at this point, they should realize it, and they need a new voice, a new direction. And quite honestly, Dallas Aikens was the one who's going to fall in line with Bob Murray, and he's probably the odd man out. And I don't think he's he's been able to show that he can manage any team successfully, at least for a long period of time. We were talking prior to where we went live today about you know how can you go and have these two types of games within a three-day period and not have changes happen and not have have something happen before Saturday's game against the Golden Knights. You know, you look across the NHL here, the Montreal Canadiens were 9-5-4, and but they fired their head coach and assistant coach because they lost six of their last eight games. I know the Ducks have different expectations, or, or at least they should, but management is saying they're a win down team, just like the Montreal Canadiens are. How do you go and blow two, three nothing leads in spectacular fashion and not do something? Whether it's a coaching change, which it doesn't do anything at this point, but or or if it's the owner saying, "Okay, Bob Murray, you're out of here," which again, I don't think an in season firing is is the best move for the Ducks if they're looking for a long term replacement or a trade. But at that point, what is this trade going to look like? Because Bob Murray is trading Adam Henrique right now, I guess for the wrong reasons, trading him to get him out of the lineup to maybe shake things up to, you know, it's it's not necessarily signaling a rebuild. And then you hear rumors that come out. Elliot Friedman was on Fan 590 in Sportsnet earlier this morning and had mentioned that the Ducks have talked with the Canucks about Jake Vertanen, but they're concerned about the second year of his contract. Jake Vertanen makes $2.6 million for this year <laughs> and next year. And he is a fourth liner by every definition of the word. Ironically, comes out of the same draft that Nick Ritchie came out of, got drafted earlier than Nick Ritchie. And is is you know the Canucks were the victims of that last kind of draft where people were hanging on to the big power forwards, the, the guys with size and played physical and played hard. Nick Ritchie was one of the those guys. Jake Vertanen was one of those guys. Both of them went top 10 in that draft. And Bob Murray loves these types of guys. Uh, I don't see how bringing in and looking for a player like Jake Vertanen does anything for this team right now. I don't know what you're sending out to get him. Knowing Bob Murray, it's probably a hockey trade. And looking at the fact that Danton Hyden hasn't played a single NHL game over the last two games here and has been scratched previously this season, I could see something like that being a possibility because Vancouver doesn't have the cap space to really make a move for Adam Henrique work. But it just makes you scratch your head even more here where this is a team who's clearly not good. They need to kind of embrace a rebuild here and move in the right direction. And you've got a general manager who's looking to add another fourth liner to this team. Yeah, he's 24. He's younger than the guys you have. But is that really what you need to do right now? You know, that's not the type of move you make in the position you're at, especially after blowing two games that you should have won. I just... I, I just it, it just confuses me. I, I'm just I, I don't know why I'm surprised anymore at, yeah. at when these things come out. It, it's just so idiotic that the Ducks are even looking at, at attempting a trade like this 
where they're at at this point in the franchise. And, you know, when we mentioned bringing in a new voice, that's what it takes at this point. Management needs an entire overhaul, mm-hmm. at the, especially, obviously, starting at the general manager position. Once that new GM comes in, what, you know, unless it's Martin Madden, I think then we potentially also see a coaching change because mm-hmm. whatever new GM comes in is going to want their guy. I can't see many GMs coming from an outside source and saying, okay, Dallas Sakins, you're my guy. I can't <laughs> see guy. it at this point. So Dude. the Ducks offseason at this point, there could be some significant change where Bob Murray's contract expires, he's out the door, and the new GM comes in and says, sorry, Dallas, you're out the door too, which yeah. honestly at this point in time, probably the best option for the Ducks to just have a clean sweep mm-hmm. from coaching staff down to general manager and clean say ups. we're starting fresh and we have a new direction. And there should be a a a, a whether it's a press release or, or in a press conference or something, a mention of what that direction is and what they're going to do so we all know what's happening. Yeah, put it in the burn book, baby. Yeah. Yeah, at, at this point, that's, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, we got a few fan questions I want to get to before we wrap up the show here. Uh, we had a, a bunch of people that engaged with us on Twitter, so we always appreciate that. Uh, Jared asked, who do the Ducks go to for GM if slash when Bob Murray is relieved of his duties? And on par with the topic we just talked about, does that GM keep Dallas Aikens? Um, off the top of my head, I, I uh, you know it's hard to, to kind of pinpoint who would be available. I know Steven's a big proponent of Eric Tulski, who's an assistant GM with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Martin Madden is obviously... I think prime candidate number one right now because he's assistant GM for the Ducks, just got promoted to that role, and it, and it feels like, you know, he's a higher from within type candidate. Um, so I wouldn't really know, kind of off the top of my head, who would be a good candidate for that position. But as with that Dallas Aikens question, I think if that new GM is anybody but Martin Madden, we likely see Dallas Aikens out the door as well. Yeah, uh, as far as GM, I think the Ducks should get Eddie Van Jones. Uh, that dude is really just kind of <laughs> nailed down what all the Ducks fans are looking for. As far as I'll coaching, play Trevin Zegers twenty minutes a night, <laughs> if not more. Hey, play him on defense too. See if it works. There we go. Um, then yeah, you know uh, the GMs are just you know it's weird. You're, you're going to have to see what their vision is. Every GM has a vision for what the team's going to be. So um, hopefully they can sell the ownership on that. As far as coaching goes, fucking want Gallant. If there's any way to grab onto Gallant, or everyone else seems to just want to get rid of the dude, get him, grab him. Make him our coach because I'm I'm all about that. That dude is all offense and he's 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 not an old school coach, so I'm happy with that. Yeah, yeah, Gerard Gallant would would be a great choice. I mean, anybody at this point would mm-hmm. would probably be an upgrade in, in a great choice. But uh, the next question we had was from Nick. He said, "Should we be playing Zegris at center? Do you guys think he's ready? Slash, would it help his development to get time at center when there's little expectation of winning?" Um. You know we got, what? I we got what? enough. We got enough centers that I'd rather put him on the wing to 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 help facilitate. Because I I don't think him being at center is going to make him more offensive. It's going to require him to be more defensive. It's going to require him to win faceoffs, tie people up. He's slider in frame, so you know having to be the guy more in the middle is maybe not necessarily 
advantageous to his size. Eventually, I think he probably will get there. But I think put him on the wing, let him use his deception to make people come at him, miss him, and then find two other guys, one guy in front, one guy behind, one guy, you know, coming in late. Do that. As a center, you're kind of leading the way and trying to look left and right, and you kind of get lost a little bit on it. So I would say at least early on, let him kind of do that wing as he gets bigger and can kind of handle his frame a little bit better. Then maybe you start seeing more of a Getzloff-type player as far as ability to to play center and facilitate passes yeah i mean mean, the ducks have been you know fairly open with the fact that if they think a player is center they played them at center uh when they brought their prospects along isaac lindstrom william carlson sam Steele, ricard raquel they kind of played them all at center until it didn't pan out especially in ricard raquel's uh, case and ended up moving him to the wing i think right now though the potentially with you know the centers in the lineup that playing Zegras on the wing I think is the best spot to have him right now and eventually it's an option for you to potentially push him to center uh, at a at a later date further on in his in his development maybe it's next season maybe it's after you know 20 30 games in the NHL you throw him at center for a couple games and and you see what works but you know even in the American Hockey League they played him on the wing so it seems like at this point the Ducks like his trajectory as a winger a bit more than they do as a center. Now it doesn't mean he's he's never going to play center in the NHL. I think there's still a possibility that he does, and maybe it's just him filling out a bit more. You know, as as right now he's six foot just under 170 pounds. Um, you know, once he potentially gets to a playing weight of 180, 190 pounds, and and, and you know builds that muscle maybe they, they feel a bit more confident to, to move him into the middle of the ice because even when Isaac Lindstrom came in and Sam Steele when he came in and played center they were a little bit bigger in terms of being kind of NHL size and, and I usually don't like to point to that as, as a reason to, to kind of harp on a player but that kind of feels like the reason they've moved Trevor Zegers to the wing among other things uh, in the early part uh, of his career but uh Let's wrap the show there because we're pushing into an hour 12 here. <laughs> um, presumably, Saturday is the next show. Um, yeah. the, the Vegas Golden Knights just had a game that was postponed. And, uh, you know, there's been – they've been but I think it was uh, San, San Jose was the reason for it. Yes, it was. But, I mean, I mean they've been injecting uh, games here or there into the schedule when they can. So, yeah. possibly we might see a Friday game if they, the NHL decides to do that. But for now, it is Saturday against the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll be live after that game. Hopefully it's not a back-to-back-to-back blown three-goal lead because I don't think I can handle that. Uh, <laughs> I, I I can't. I honestly can't. <laughs> Two is enough. Hopefully it's it's just a good performance and we're not talking about the mismanagement of Trevor Zegers after that one. But we'll keep you guys posted on who's going to be on that show and what the time's going to look like for that one. Appreciate, again, everybody coming out tonight and and joining our therapy session for this one. And uh, we'll see you guys all out there on Saturday night. Take care, guys. All right. Bye, guys.